0: All right, Matthew chapter 28, we got down to the end, to verse 16 here uh, last time, but I want to kind of come back up and uh, clean some stuff up, if you will. Um, So we're going to go back up to verse number 1. Last time we, we, again, as we end the book here, if you look, by the way, if you look at verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. Into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, where we end the book is where we begin the book in Galilee, and uh, Matthew presents that dispensational picture here all through the book, uh, from the beginning all the way here down to the last, uh, well, the last word, which is, Amen, rather than uh, a, rather than a woman, <laughs> it's an Amen, <laughs> okay, and uh, it's uh, again a very consistent picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as the king, uh, the king of Israel, uh, presenting his kingdom, and uh, he he's uh, in rejection here, he and so forth, and uh, yet uh, we'll as we go down through it here, uh, I've I've enjoyed studying the book. Um, it's a tremendous thing as you do study and study to teach, but then when you begin to teach, you you see things and you learn things a little bit uh, quicker and clearer. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were teaching and I, we went through something, and a light bulb went off in my head, going, Oh, wow, that matches that over there. And uh, that tends to happen as well. Um, again, we got down through verse 15 last time, but I, I want to go back up and uh, just catch a couple things and clean up a couple things here uh, about uh, in the passage. And uh, Matthew 28, verse 1, uh, in, the, in the end of the Sabbath. As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. That, that's why you know if you really saw a genuine angel, it would, you would pass out. That's what these guys have done. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, what we're, uh, we've again, we've studied the crucifixion. We've looked at the details, we've looked at what's happening, and yet here he says he's not here, he's, he's risen. And the passage here, uh, talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and that's what we're looking at. Now, when the Lord, and, and again, we didn't talk about the resurrection issue last time uh, and so forth, but the Lord Jesus Christ was raised in a literal body. He was literally and bodily raised from the dead. So when you think about his resurrection, it's not simply that the spirit of Jesus, you know, and the ideas and so forth happened. He literally, he was stone cold dead in the tomb. When that soldier goes up to break his legs, he is dead. They check the pulse, they have the... The uh, uh, M.E. come up, check the pulse. The coroner come up, check the pulse. I mean, they got all this stuff. He was dead. When When they lay him in the tomb and wrap him, he's literally dead. So when he's resurrected, he's literally bodily resurrected. His resurrection now is going to be different from any resurrection that had taken place prior to this point. And again, Jesus Christ is the first person ever resurrected uh, in a completely and absolutely new way, different way. If you look over with me to Colossians chapter 1, just a couple things about this issue of resurrection. And, And again, we talked about the crucifixion and we went down and that's kind of what was on our mind But I just want to kind of clean some of this up about the resurrection, and then we'll finish the chapter. Look at Colossians 1, verse 18. Paul says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Well, he says, who is the beginning? The beginning of what? That's usually the question. Um, If you get around certain groups they they talk about the beginning of the creation and so forth and that's not what Paul's talking about here he's talking about being the firstborn from the dead he's the first one to come up from the dead in a new manner a new way he's the first one to come up from the dead in a line of people who are going to be resurrected like him he's the beginning of a new creature, a new creation, a new humanity. And he's the very first one to ever be resurrected this way. So when you come back to Matthew 28, that's why in chapter 27 there, when that the graves open, the, the key in that is after his resurrection. <laughs> he's the first one up, but he's not only just the first to be re- resurrected, he's the first one resurrected in a new way. In other words, he stayed resurrected. Matthew 28 uh, and verse number 2 here. Uh, and, and, and go get John chapter 11. Well, Matthew 28, 2 and John chapter uh, 11. And, and let's look at, kind of compare this with Lazarus. You know, some uh, people will say, well, other people were resurrected. Well, yeah, they were. Problem was, was, they didn't stay raised, they died back, they died again. The Lord was raised in an entirely new kind of manner, uh, something brand new. Um, Matthew 28, look, if you'll look at verse number 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. It was the angel that rolled back the stone. Well, why did he do it? He did it so the women could come in and see that he wasn't there. There's a misnomer that Christ rolled the stone away, and he didn't do that. The, The angel came and did it so that the ladies, the witnesses, could then come in and look and see that he was gone. Look here at John 11. And verse 38, John 11, 38, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the stone. It was a cave, I'm sorry, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. He wanted the stone removed so he could deal with Lazarus. That's who we're talking about. So, but he... He said, roll the stone away. Why? So Lazarus could get out. Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. But because... Uh, um, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. Now, that's going to be different, that's, going to, that's interesting, because in Matthew 27, on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So, there's a contrast here. Verse 42 again. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him, and let him go. So Lazarus comes hobbling out, bound up. He's got the napkin still across his face. And the Lord says, Cut him loose. Let him go. Now come over to John 20. Notice the contrast. John 20 and verse number, verse 6, Then cometh Simon P. Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Peter goes in and sees the slab where, the, where Christ had laid And you know what was laying there? The linen clothes and the napkin was all folded. When we went through John, he folded it up and he laid it there. It wasn't just strewn about. So when Christ is resurrected, he comes right up. Again, nobody unwound him. Nobody had to cut him loose. He just came up right out of the grave clothes. Lazarus comes bouncing out. He's still wrapped. They have to unwrap him. They had to take away the stone, and, but when Christ was resurrected, his body just stepped right through the clothes, right through the tomb. I guess if you were there when it happened and you could have seen him, you just saw him go right up through the, the roof. And he, and so on the day of the resurrection, when the ladies come and the, and the angel says, come see where he lay, what were they going to see? Grave clothes, and that's it. So it's no problem for the Lord to get out. A little problem for Lazarus to get out. Now come over with me to Luke 24. Just a few things here about the, the resurrected body. So the Lord, he was given a new resurrected type body Luke 24 and he's the firstborn from the dead he's the first in a line of people who are going to be born with a brand new kind of body and that's gonna be obviously you and I today in the Age of Grace but also then for the Kingdom Saints out in the future Uh, look at Luke 24 here so just a few points about this body first of all the body was real It's literal and recognizable. So, um, because some people have said, well, he was a spirit, kind of like Casper the Ghost. No, he's a legitimate, literal, real, recognizable body. Look at Luke 24, 36. And as they spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, boo. (laughs) No, he didn't boo them. He, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affright, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye, have seen, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet that's literal all right he he materialized in front of him they thought they were seeing a spirit a ghost and he says i'm not a phenomena here i'm not something that's unreal reach out here and touch me by the way he says um, that uh, a spirit hath not flesh and bones he doesn't say flesh and blood because he's already spilt the blood at calvary But it's the bones. It's the literal, physical thing here. It's recognizable. It's literal. It's the real deal. Now, that's the second point, by the way. It's, It's recognizable. They knew who he was. They could see him. They could touch him. It was real. It was recognizable. There, verse 41. And while they yet believed not for joy and wonder, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb and he took it and did eat before them guess what else he could eat in the resurrection you're going to be able to eat and guess what not get fat (laughs) you know you can eat that loaf of bread and be okay to go you know you can eat you can sit down and down that chicago deep dish pizza and you're i'm just kidding but it's recognizable. It's real. It's you can eat. Uh, come over to John twenty. John chapter twenty, and verse nineteen. John twenty, and verse nineteen. Uh, it will be a. It was a body that could pass through solid objects. John uh, twenty verse nineteen. Then the same day at evening, when the first day of the week. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So they're in lockdown. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, I you know he wanted to say boo. You know, but he doesn't. He says, Peace be unto you. They he he if he'd have said boo, he'd have scared them to death. There, they're sitting there. They're locked down. They're, that's you know, Luke 24. They're locked down. Uh, come back with me over to Mark 16. They're they're underneath a lockdown. They're fearing the Jews. The Jews are out looking for them to kill them to get off, get rid of this uh, sect here. And he sits there, and Peter goes around and counts out. There should only be 11, should only really be ten of them. Eleven of them. Matthias, I guess, would be there, but he's not a disciple yet. And he says, "Wait a minute. How did we get twelve? Who's in here? Who's?" In and boom, there he is. But what did he do? He came through. The, he he was able to enter and to pass through solid objects. Uh, he had a bot. His this body could be visible and invisible at his will. All right. When. He, he, he had a body with the ability to travel at the speed of light. We talked about that last time when he looks there and he says, don't touch me, I haven't been to my father yet. He leaves and within that two-hour period of time, he's up and back. And then in Matthew, the ladies can hug him. It's able to go and to do the Leviticus 23 thing there. We saw that. Uh, he was the original, beam me up, Scotty, the idea. Okay. Uh, look at Mark 16 and look at verse 19 so then after the lord had spoken unto them he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of god he had a body that could be on earth and then be received up into the third heaven where god is and, and where the father is and he could sit there that means that he can his body can travel through outer space. It can fit in outer space. He doesn't need a space suit. Uh, Come back over with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the idea. 1 Corinthians 15. He's able to move through time and the dimensions and all of that with ease. And uh, he says, hey, I'm here and up I go. Now, I know that's hard to believe. It's hard to kind of fathom for us. But that's what scripture says. 1 Corinthians 15, if you look at verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. You see, we have a natural body that's designed to work down here on the earth and perform and do, and then yet one day when we're resurrected, we're going to get into a spiritual body that's designed to operate in the heavenly places. For the folks here, uh, come back with me to Luke, uh, Luke 20. For the folks here, what they're seeing with the Lord here is that when they get resurrected, they're going to be resurrected into that kingdom. They're going to be resurrected into a body that's going to be fit for the kingdom here on the earth. So there, there's a lot of things that, that this body can do. It moves at the speed of light, it's up and down, it's all over. And we'll spend some time learning to use our new body. And uh, Philippians 3 over there, we're fashioned as unto his glorious body, and that's what we're looking at. Notice, if you will, Luke 20 and verse 35. Um, So think just think about it. It is a literal body, it's a physical body, it's a resurrected body, it's a recognizable body, it can go through objects, it can be invisible and invisible it can be visible they laid his body down in the tomb when he's resurrected he rose up invisible nobody would have seen him what laid out the soldiers is when the angels came to roll the stone away Um, notice if you will uh, luke 20 verse 35 but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain the world that world and the Resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. That resurrection body never dies. And that's another characteristic of the resurrection, is that it's going to live on forever. It never dies. And again, First Corinthians 15 Mortal has to put on immortality. Corruption has to put on incorruption. And that's that issue of that glorified body. Uh, again, our body, Philippians 3, will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now, what happens is, is science and religion and all that stuff out there doesn't fathom that. So they spook this out. They give it all this spooky stuff and woo and it's really not a literal physical visible thing it's just in the spirit and the hearts of men and all this stuff and yet he <laughs> when you come back here to Matthew 28 he's looking at literal physical visible resurrected body now back to Matthew 28 after his resurrection the lord there's 14 appearances of the lord after his resurrection, okay? And I'm going to give them to you, and just, uh, I took that note out of Schofield and just kind of wrote them down quickly. We're not going to spend the the rest of the hour looking at these, but the first one was Mary Magdalene uh, on the way to the tomb, John 20, and he says, don't touch me, I haven't been. That was number one. The second one was here in Matthew 28, to the women, when they hug him and they are able to touch him. The third one is in Luke 24, the two on the road to Emmaus. But also the fourth one in Luke 24 is he shows himself to Peter. And we learn that via 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says he showed himself to Peter. We'll go over there in just a minute. Then the fifth one is in John 20, where he shows himself to 10 of the 12 apostles. Well, they would be 11 because Judas is dead now. But Thomas isn't there. Then the sixth one is eight days later when he shows himself again to the disciples, and Thomas is there. All right? The seventh one is in John 21 when they're at the sea and there's seven disciples. Then the eighth appearance is here where we're at in Matthew 28, verse 16. So that's where we're going to kind of finish the chapter now. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. So that's the eighth appearance. All right? Now, hold on to here. Run over to 1 Corinthians 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul then gives... More of more accounting. In, in Acts 1, he talks about many infallible proofs. So Paul lays them out. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. And he was seen of Cephas. Now that's Peter. That's the Luke 24 mentioned. Then of the 12. So we got that. After that, so the ninth. The ninth appearance is these guys here. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. There's the ninth to the big group. Verse 7. After that, he was seen of James. So there's number 7. And then of all the apostles, there's number 10, 11. 11, I think. Okay? Then... You have him, and by the way, in verse 9, I'm I'm sorry, in verse 7, when he says, of all the apostles, that's the Acts 1 event of the ascension. Okay, so that's number 11. James should be 10, 9 should be 500, 10 should be James, 11 should be the ascension, Acts 1. But then in Acts 7, number 12, he's seen of Stephen Okay, and then number thirteen is here in fifteen nine. For I'm the least. Uh, I'm sorry, verse eight. And last of all, he was seen of me also. That's the ninth. Of, that's Acts nine on the road to Damascus. Okay, now subsequently he's seen the fourteenth time, and that's to John the God. Where, and again, for the book of the Revelation. But he's continually seen by Paul throughout his revelation periods. So after the resurrection, there's really only 13. Um, Come back to Matthew 28. Because of that 14th one uh, Schofield listed, and that's to John there on Patmos and everything with uh, the book of the Revelation. But... and. Schofield says that's after the resurrection, and, and I, I'm going to differ with him on that. I think it's before, but e- either way. Doesn't, it's not gonna, it could fit in the early Acts period, which is after his ascension, and that's fine. But we know that he shows to Paul and subsequently. All right, let's finish the chapter. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Now it's important again that they go to Galilee. Uh, and, and, and so forth. So before he's crucified, come back to Matthew 26. Jesus is going to tell his disciples that they are going to forsake him, Matthew 26, 32. But he also tells them, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Matthew 28, verse 7, the angel says, And go quickly and tell his disciples, he says this to the ladies, That he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. Then Jesus, verse 10, Then Jesus said unto them, Be be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. So Christ is going to meet up with the disciples where? In Galilee. So when they get there, they go up on a mountain. Now, again, a mountain in, in picture and in type in the prophetic program is a picture of a kingdom. So he goes up into the mountain in Galilee. Now come back with me to, Matt, to chapter 4 of Matthew. Uh, so he is pointing, again, it's, he's drawing a picture here as if he says, look, guys, after the resurrection, we're going to go up into the kingdom. And I'm going to meet you there. Now, if you look here at Matthew 4, and you think about the Lord's, the angel says, go meet him in Galilee. The Lord says, go meet me in Galilee. we got it all set up to go meet in Galilee. He, it's almost like he said, guys, I've trained you. You're ready to go. I died. I'm resurrected. And now we're going to go to where we started all of this to begin with so we can get things going. Because he began his earthly ministry in Galilee. Matthew 4, if you look at verse 12, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast and the borders of Zebulon and Nethalim. Uh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Neph- uh, Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region, and shadow of death uh, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He begins his ministry in, in the kingdom there, in Galilee. He goes up, he begins there with the rejection of John the Baptist. He moves up into Galilee. He stays there the whole of his ministry. In Matthew 19, you see him kind of come back down. And he makes little excursions down into Jerusalem and so forth for the feast days. But the bulk of his activity is in Galilee. Now, if you look there at Matthew 11, then the, the uh sorry, Matthew 4, verse 11, then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Verse 12, now when Jesus had heard, between verse 11 and verse 12 is the first five chapters of John that happened. And in that early ministry, he's there in Judah, Judea. But with the rejection of John the Baptist and his message, okay, of preparing the way for the Messiah and the king and everything, he and, and he's thrown in jail, the, Lord's, the Lord then goes up north to call his disciples. Now, all, 11 of the 12 are from Galilee. Judas is from Jerusalem and so forth. And he, And he goes up there, and he is forming the little flock he's going up into the dark there verse 16 the people which sat in darkness saw great light he goes up into the dark and he put darkness not my people and what do they see great light so it's out of galilee that he brings that little flock that's where he develops that that's where he gets them all together Then he goes back to Jerusalem and he dies. Come back to Matthew 28. And then he says, guys, I'm going to resurrect here and I'm going to meet you where we started. And then we're going to start all over again. So he connects his resurrection ministry with the little flock. And then it's in his post-resurrection ministry now. And and it's as if he's saying, we've come this far, these things have happened, and now we're going to go back and we're going to start all over and we're going to preach to the nation to repent once again. And we're going to go out there and we're going to give them a new opportunity. And now we're in the early Acts period. okay? But only this time, it's not going to be me doing this, as in virgin birth and resurrection. It's going to be you, the little flock, doing it. So the Lord's resurrection ministry is going to go right back over with, with that little remnant, with the little flock. And he's, they're going to take that message of a renewed opportunity of repentance to him. So he sits on a mountain, again, a type of the kingdom. And again, that's going to be the subject, the rest of this... The end of Matthew 28 here is going to be about the kingdom, okay? Matthew 28, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, uh, like Thomas did. Uh, Christ says over there, blessed are they that believe even though they haven't seen. They are more blessed than those who have seen in the book of John there. There's still a mixed multitude in their midst. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. That's the post-resurrection commission that concludes the book of Matthew now, in each of the Gospels and the first chapter of Acts, there's a record of, of the commission which Christ gives to his apostles and to his followers between his resurrection and his ascension. And it's, they're called, usually, the post-resurrection commission. He's already given them... In his earthly ministry, a commission, Matthew 10. We saw it started from the time he named them as apostles all the way through his second coming. Now, what he's going to do here now is now he's going to kind of recommission them, if you will. But he's going to do it in four, five very specific areas. Now, we're going to deal with Matthew here. And then if we have time at the end, I'll give you the other ones And if not, we'll do it next week. But let's just see where the time goes so we can get Matthew finished, okay? Verse 18. And Jesus came. uh, Again, type picture of the second coming, if you will. And spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Now, therefore... Why are they to go? Because all power has been given unto him in heaven and in earth. Therefore, what? Go. Let's go and do some things here. Now, this commission is associated with his kingdom and with his right to reign in the earth. When he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. The commission in Matthew is a commission that's going to fit over in the millennial kingdom. And it's a commission that looks to the kingdom. And it's a commission that is given to be carried out in in the light that all the power of heaven and in earth is now in the hands of the Lord. And that only happens in the kingdom. So the phrase here in verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth is a prophetic statement. At this moment, not the Lord Jesus doesn't have the ability, the right, if you will, to exercise all power in heaven and earth. Now, the power in heaven and earth is his by rights because of Calvary, but he's not assuming. The authority to carry it out, if that makes sense. He has it. He's won that because of Calvary. Come back over with me to Hebrews chapter 2. He's won that because of Calvary, but there's going to be a delay here in him exercising it. He's got it, but now there's going to be a delay in the exercise of it. Uh, Hebrews 2, notice verse 8. "...thou hast put all things in subjection under his, under his feet. For in that he put all, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death." Notice, all things are under him, under his power, under his authority. Nothing is excluded, but it isn't time yet. Now we see, notice notice that verse, the end of verse 8, but now we see what? Not. Not yet all things. Everything's going to be put under him, but it isn't going to be under subjection to him yet. There's going to be a delay. If you drop down and look at verse number 14, the end of that verse, to destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He won that right at Calvary. It's just not time for him to enforce it. Come over to Revelation chapter 5. Uh, again, that verse 8 there, but now we see not yet. All of it's under his feet. All of it's under his. It's just not time yet. Look at Revelation, uh, Revelation 5. Revelation 5. Uh, this is the sealed book. We're up in the heavens. We're up in the third, we're up in the throne room. We're in the third heaven. Verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive what? Power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy. He has the right. He's the only one who could go up to the throne there and take the sealed book and open it. He is the only one who has the power and the right and the and the. the, the privilege of doing that he has it he just hasn't taken it up yet come over to chapter 11 of revelation and and i guess the reason we're stressing this is because of what everybody uses matthew 28 to do and you got to pay attention to the passage leave it where it sits and uh, enjoy it revelation 11 look at verse 15 see when he takes up his power Verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, the angel, the seventh angel sounded, that's in the middle of the 70th week. That's when he takes it up. There's a day that's going to come when Christ is going to come back into the universe that war in heaven and the kingdoms of this world become his and he will be the king of kings and all the kings of the earth are going to bow down to him and worship him but that hasn't happened yet now come back with me to luke chapter 4 luke 4 right now in time when the Lord, Matthew 28 is happening, even today, Luke 4, verse 6, Satan, here in the temptation of Christ, offers him the kingdoms of this world. Verse 6, and the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Satan says, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world and the power if you'll do what? Worship me. Notice the Lord never says, you don't have it, it's mine. So, see. So in order for Christ to take back the authority over the earth, he has to, well, he has to bind the strong man, Mark 3. Okay? And that's, again... (laughs) Hasn't happened yet. That happens in his second coming. Now come back to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. It's clear that he doesn't exercise the power in heaven and in earth yet. He doesn't do it today. Paul talks about the adversary being the prince, the power of the air. Um, Does that in 2 Corinthians 4. Does it in, in, in Ephesians 2. Uh, Luke 4 obviously, but Christ is the rightful king. And one day he's going to take up the authority and when that happens verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's why this commit, again when he takes up that authority, second coming, he binds the strong man by the way, he's going to throw him in the prison cells down there, Revelation 20. He's going to seal him up for a thousand years. He's bound the strong man. He goes into that kingdom, and that's why this commission fits the kingdom. It's the kingdom commission. I, and what he's going to do here is he's going to say, okay, guys, little flock, but when we're in the kingdom, this is what you're going to do, okay? Okay. What is he going to do? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, this is very important. Come back with me to Numbers 23. Oh, I'm sorry? You knew where I was going, okay. There's yeah, there's going there we go. Numbers 23, verse 9. The, the prophecy here of Balaam, again, uh, prophesying against Israel and so forth. But this is important because you hear preachers say, go to all the nations and and your state is your nation and Jerusalem is your hometown and Judea is your county and you get in there and do this and bravo and it has nothing to do with any of that garbage. Numbers 23 verse 9. Again, Balaam here prophesying against Israel says, for from the uh, top of the rocks I see him and from the hills I behold him. Lo, The people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nation. You know what God says about Israel? You're separate from the nations. And you are not to be reckoned, you're not to be numbered, you're not to be counted amongst the nations of the earth. There is absolutely no way in the prophetic program that the nation of Israel is ever considered... In the same breath as the Gentiles, as the other nations of the earth. They're always, you're the head, not the tail. You're the lender, not the lindy. You're, you are the primo. So when Christ says, go ye therefore, ye, Israel, little flock, go ye, the people of God, and teach the nations, he is not including Israel in that. And there's another reason why. You're in Numbers. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. <coughs> Jeremiah 31. 31. You know, I, I think about that. Jeremiah 31. You think about <laughs> Jeremiah 31. 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, so he's going to make this new covenant, uh, Hebrews 8. This is where we're at, 8 to 11 there. And he says, uh, let's see, verse 33, "...but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts." and will be their god and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the lord for i will forgive their iniquity and i will remember their sin no more who's their neighbor and who's their brother other jews other israelites they didn't they're not neighbors with gentiles they're neighbors with each other within their tribes And what do they all know? They already all know the Lord. So they're not going to go in there and teach themselves. They're already there because the new covenant, come back to Isaiah chapter 2, the new covenant lays in for them. The fact is you are going to go out into the Gentiles and teach. You're going to go out and be the channel of blessings, Genesis 12, to to that nation of Israel. Notice Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2 and verse number 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, to the God of, of uh, Jacob. And he, well that would be Jacob, who is really Israel, will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? In the millennial, it will be a time of Gentile conversion. If you come over to chapter 11 of Isaiah, fascinating verse. Isaiah 11, verse number 9. Notice this verse. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that fascinating? Let's go up here to the Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, because out of it flows all the... And you know what the Lord says? The knowledge of God is going to cover the whole earth like the waters cover the sea and that's going to be a result come back to Matthew 28 that is a result of the ministry of that little flock going out in the kingdom out to teach all the nations that Matthew 28 19 go you therefore and teach all the nations it is a kingdom commission and it's what they're going to be doing in the kingdom okay Then the verse says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, notice that the baptism here is for the nations. It's wrong to say that baptism strictly belongs to the Jews. Because it doesn't. This baptism is not Jewish, but it has to do with the kingdom and it has to do with the kingdom program, and it has to do with the Gentiles being baptized. And that, and that it has to do with that Gentile nations down there that come and, I don't know, in, in, in history, they bow the knee to the Messiah, if you will, if you, to the king. They become a part of the nation of Israel. Again, Leviticus 14 talks about the uncleaned, who would be the Gentiles. They were to be cleansed, and you have to do that by the washing of water. And that's what's going on here. So Israel is going to go teach the nations. Then they're going to baptize them into subjection to that nation, to to Israel. So you've got them teaching them, and then you've got them baptizing them, and then they to do it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Great Trinitarian verse here, by the way. However, it is not a formula. A lot of people will say that you, gotta, you have to uh, baptize them three times. Once in the name of the Father, once in the name of the Son, and once in the name of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you hear people say, nope, that's wrong. You got to take them over here and dunk them backwards. And you got to go them backwards three times. Poor would be drowned, you know. Then you got, no, you can't, you don't dunk them, you sprinkle them. No, you don't do that, you pour the water, you got all this stuff. And what they do is, is they use this in the name of the Father and the Son. But in Scripture, when it says in the name of, we would say, stop in the name of the law. What do we mean? The authority of the law, you need to stop. That's exactly what he's talking about here. He's talking about authority. Again, a great Trinitarian statement, great proof text of the statement, one name for all three, but it's not a formula, all right? Rather... It's, hey, you're going to go out here and do this stuff in the name of, in the authority of the Godhead. He's not saying do it once in the Father, once for the Son, okay? He, come over to Acts 2. Notice, just you have to think about this. I, I think sometimes when we think about baptism, we just kind of shut our brains down and quit thinking about it. Look at Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remissions of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the whole. Peter's talking to Israel. Jesus Christ, they've just rejected him. They've just um, killed him. Yet he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And, and the issue here with Israel is Jesus Christ. They've rejected him. So now they're to be baptized they're going to submit their authority themselves to the authority of the rejected king so it's an issue of authority come over to chapter 10 of Acts this thing with Cornelius is is, is it, it, if you see this it, you got Acts 2 still look at chapter 10 though verse 48 And he, that's Peter, commanded them, that's Cornelius and his house, to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry days. Think about the name of the Lord. Do you know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all called Lord in Scripture? One word, but yet he's talking about all three of them. The idea is to be baptized in the authority and the power of the triune godhead the thing here about cornelius and then in acts 2 if you build any doctrine on the book of acts you're a fool because acts shifts peter's been given the vision don't call unclean clean don't call clean unclean now you're going to go down here you're going to see cornelius He looks at verse 34, Acts 10, 34. Then Peter opened his mouth, and of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Wait a minute. With Israel, he was a respecter of persons. Now he's not. Something's changing. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. See that issue of working righteousness to be accepted? Well, Titus 3 says, Uh, Over there tells us, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. So obviously this isn't Paul's information. Then he gets down there and he he goes and he teaches them. Drop down to verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Wait a minute. Acts 2.38, I thought the formula was repent and be baptized every one of you. And then you get the Holy Spirit. The formula is no longer the formula. Here Peter is speaking to them, and the Holy Ghost falls on them. Verse 45, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Well, yeah, it's not happening the way it's supposed to happen. Well, what has happened? Acts 9 has happened. Things are out of whack now. Okay? Uh, verse 45, they were astonished as many as came with Peter because that the, Holy, that the Gentiles also that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues. Wait a second. Here Peter's preaching to Gentiles, by the way, Cornelius they okay, they're going to become a part of the little flock. They're believing Peter's gospel, a works of righteousness, a works gospel. they hear that, They get the go the Holy Ghost falls on them. They start speaking in tongues. So we're really out of whack. And in Peter, verse 47, or verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Then he commanded them to be baptized. Peter's sitting there going, what in the world's going on here? This is all a mess. See, again, come back to Matthew 28. When he says, baptizing them in the name of, he's talking about in the authority of. He's not talking about a formula, because in the book of Acts, that formula gets thrown out the window. So the commission here is clear what they're to do. Now, look at verse 20, 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all even unto the end of the world. Notice this verse carefully. Because there's a lot of stuff that gets done with this verse that isn't right. Teaching them to observe also all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What has he commanded them? Come back to chapter 5. What did the Lord do to them? You go back to Matthew 5 and look at verse 19. You know what he taught them to do? Keep the law. 519, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Keep the law. Come over to chapter 23 of Matthew. Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse number 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in whose seat? Moses' seat. There in Matthew 5, we didn't read it. He says, I didn't come to kill the I came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. I so he says to them, Matthew 28 20, out in that millennial kingdom, what are you going to be teaching these people? The law. For you and I today, Romans 7, Romans 6 says we're not under the law, we're under grace. Romans 7 says we're dead to the law, so it's not the same thing. It's completely different. And that's what gets to be critical here in these five commissions that are going to happen, is that they are not a part of what uh, the Lord is doing today. Now, just I'm going to put this up here because the hour is almost up. And then I think we'll spend some time and uh, look at this uh, next time. You have Calvary, which is where we're at. Okay? He's died. He's risen. He goes up. He comes back. He goes up to the third heaven, sees the Father, comes back. And then we have him here for um, for forty uh, for the fifty days, so it's forty days. Then he ascends, and then we start the Acts period. Okay, I give a little more room here. We are over here talking. That's where we're at. Okay, he's going to meet them in Galilee. Those. 13 appearances or 12 appearances and so forth there. Then we have Acts. And then in Acts 7, we have the fall. We have the start of the body of Christ. We're going to have the body of Christ goes out. We've got Paul here. Acts 7 is Stephen. 9 is Paul on the road to Damascus. Then we have the tribulation, the 70th week. We have his second coming. And we have his kingdom. Okay? You with me? All right. You got five different commissions now. In Acts, Luke 24 and Acts 1 deal with Acts 1 to 7, or 1 to 8. All right. Acts or Luke is volume one. Acts is Luke volume two. <laughs> okay. Now there's nothing here, because that's a dispensation of grace, and Paul is in charge. Mark 16 deals with the tribulation period of time. In Mark, Christ commissions them and gives them power. The, to uh, take care of things that's going to happen to them during the commission. Matthew 28, which is where we're at, deals with the kingdom. The thousand year reign and on out. Okay. Now, you've got another one here in, at the end of John, in John 20. And what John 20 is, is it is a general commission, that describes the authority and the administration with all, I'm sorry, wherewithal of the apostles. No matter if it's in Acts, in the tribulation, or in the kingdom, these men have been given authority to act in the absence of the Messiah, but also in the future presence of the Messiah. So John's commission is all about the authority to act. So you've got the first one here is in Luke that matches up with Acts, then you've got Mark, then you've got Matthew, and then you've got John that oversees them all. So the commission in Matthew 28 fits the kingdom where Christ is with them on the earth. The commission in Mark fits the tribulation where Christ is ascended up into the third heaven, gives them the power to survive and is working with them there on the earth. And then the commission start, stated in Luke and Acts, go out beginning at Jerusalem in and, and that order. And again, John comes up and give, here's, how, here's the authority. So those five commissions fit uh, like that. And it's really important to see them. And we'll look at them next time, maybe a little bit more in depth. Uh, They're given after the resurrection, but before the ascension. When he ascends in Acts 1, all of their instructions have been given, okay? They've been given to the believers during this period. We saw last time, or we saw Sunday morning in John there, uh, in Sunday school there, in John, where the Holy Spirit's going to come, be the comforter, and give them the instructions, there it is. Everything that they need, he's given to them on the earth, done. Now, Paul is going to receive some instructions here, and that's going to be completely different for you and I. Okay? At each point in time, they knew what was required of them and what they were to do. So, in other words, they were thoroughly equipped to do the job that God had called them to do. Okay? Thus endeth Mattheweth. <laughs> All right? By the way, you'll notice in verse 20 there, I am with you always. Not always. Always is a reference to the course that they're going to take now during this time. Not only here, but also over here, that course we're going to go, always is a reference to all of the time element. Always is going to reference the course now that they're going to take and what they're going to do. Okay? All right. Don't make these commissions ours. They don't belong to us. Nothing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the early Acts, actually any of Acts, belongs to you and I today in the Age of Grace. Paul over there says, 1 Corinthians 1, I wasn't sent to baptize. People go, yeah, but he baptized. Yeah, the reason is Romans 11 says he has a provoking ministry there with Israel. It's very simple. The simplicity that's in Christ, none of this is hard. We make it hard because we got to prove a point. We have an agenda, et cetera, and, and none of it is hard. You step back, you, get, you jettison all of that agenda-driven, i got to be right and you got to be wrong thing or, you know, under the guise of a new thing. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new here. The verses have been in the Bible. People have been preaching and teaching them that way for a long time. So, anyway, we'll look. uh, That concludes our Matthew study. We'll do one more next time, look at these commissions, and uh, spend, you know, 30 minutes, half hour, whatever, 45 minutes looking at them, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the instructions, and we thank you for who we are in your Son, and we thank you for what you're doing today in the dispensation of grace. In your name we pray. Amen.